Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Good morning, Candeo family. How are we doing today? Right, I'm going to start with a little crowd participation. Uh, if you are sitting with your dad or wives, you're sitting next to your husband, the, the father of your kids, and you think they're pretty awesome, can we celebrate our dads this morning? Can we do that? Yes, yes, yes. Happy Father's Day, gentlemen. Uh, as a fellow dad, I know the absolute joy of being a dad. I, I love being a dad. Absolutely love it. I also know, and gentlemen, we can admit this, I also know just the incredible weight of responsibility and the call on my life from God of what it means to be a dad, to lay your head on the pillow each night and to think through all the things that a good dad should think about and be responsible for the weights that you carry. And gentlemen, I just wanna say this morning, not just Happy Father's Day, I wanna say thank you. I wanna say I'm grateful for you, and I'm really grateful for your friendship in my life. There are so many men in this room, your friendship with me has made me a better dad, a better person, a better follower of Christ. I just wanna say thank you. And I'm particularly grateful that you're here this morning. Hopefully you got like the steaks ready, all that stuff, your golf game, maybe later today you'll do all that, but I'm grateful that you're here this morning leading your family in worship. That's what men do, right? So it's good to see you today. Uh, we're gonna be in 1 John. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can begin opening up to 1 John. And I'm gonna steal uh, just a, a sentiment that I got from a Ray Ortland uh, podcast here real quick. This isn't meant to be like a hard rebuke or anything like that. This is just like setting something up here. Uh, but, but often, I shouldn't say often, that's giving myself too much credit. From time to time, uh, after a, a message that I give, a person will come up to me, and they mean this as a compliment, but they'll say, wow, man, you really gave it to us today. You know, and they'll, they'll use the word like, that was really challenging. I'm just gonna let you know, if that's a sentiment you have and you share that with me, I am rarely encouraged by that. Because my goal when I, when I teach is not actually to challenge you. It's to encourage you. And those two words may sound very similar in your mind, but, but it's the application aspect of things that's very different because often when it comes to challenge, you walk away from it going, man, you really gave it to us today. That was really challenging. I, what I don't want to happen is that you're walking away, you're gritting your teeth and trying to figure out how to work harder to figure out to do something better, right? To take some action, right? That's not my goal. My goal is not to challenge you it is to, yes, convict you, to call you to repentance, but then to encourage you and to comfort you with the endless mercies of Christ. And then to urge you to walk, not in your own strength, but in the strength that the Spirit provides. And that's what I mean. I think there's a difference between challenge and encouragement. And I wanted you to hear that today because Never has that been more true than what I want to accomplish this morning in our time together. I want to encourage you. I want you to walk out of here with greater strength. What John is trying to do for us here in this short, beautiful letter is he's wanting to provide for us absolute clarity. It's beautiful. He does the same thing in his gospel. John wrote the gospel of John but he does the same thing here where he even states in this letter, here's why I'm writing this to you. Here's what I want you to know. This is what he says. 
1 John 5, 13, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He's writing to believers, to Christians. I'm writing these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to them so that they would know that they know. That's the line we've been using each week in walking through this 1 John series. He's wanting to provide absolute clarity for them in a world of so much information and endless opinions, clarity is an absolute gift. So if you ever find yourself asking, am I living the life that God wants me to live? Am I a Christian? First John's a great book to go to because he's trying to make it abundantly clear, this is what true faith looks like. And here's what we've covered so far. I just wanna kind of recap where we've been so far. But this is what true faith looks like. True faith is marked by repentance. We saw this in 1 John verses eight and nine, that if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. You can't say that. You can't say I'm sinless. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. This beautiful promise. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you find yourself asking the question, am I living the life that God wants me to live? I would ask you a question. Have you repented? Has there been a 180 in your life where you have looked at the the path that you were naturally going down in life and said, no, that's not the path God wants for me. You've turned from that and followed Christ. Is your life marked by not just one-time repentance, but ongoing repentance? True faith is marked by obedience. We saw this Last week in 1 John 2, verses four through six, the one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his commands, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know that we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. You ever find yourself asking the question, Am I living the life that God wants me to live? I would ask you, is your life marked by not perfect obedience, but persistent obedience? Understand the difference there? In the times when you fall down in life and mistakes happen, you find yourself in sin, is there the persistence? Is your life marked by persistence? Did you get yourself back up by the strength of the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, continually setting those things aside? True faith is marked by love. We saw this last week as well, 1 John 2, verses 9 and 10. The one who says that he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. If you ask yourself, am I living the life that God wants me to live? Am I a Christian? I would ask you, is your life marked by supernatural love? a rich care for and devotion to your brothers and sisters in Christ that sit around you. And not just love, that you've got words that say, hey, I love you, but like life marked by action. And love expresses itself in action. Is that true of you? And then today, John will give us another marker of true faith. And these four things will be on repeat, kind of moving through 1 John. But here's the fourth marker of true faith. True faith is marked by perseverance. True faith, saving faith, endures. 
it endures. So the flow of our text today is pretty simple. We're gonna start here by being reminded of who we are, then we're gonna move into why that matters, and then we're gonna talk specifically about then what does it look like to persevere as, as John writes to us. So uh, let's start here in verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. And I've written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. And I've written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. The way I read this section here, these, these three verses, that they go through kind of different groupings. You saw that, right? He writes first to the little children, then to fathers, then to young men. The way that I read this is actually seeing those as like maturity stages for believers, right? That children refers to all of those who have placed their faith in Christ. Fathers are those who are like more seasoned in life, have been walking with Christ for years, and young men being those who haven't maybe been so seasoned but aren't new to Christ either, right? That's the way I read this, is like different maturity groupings. But I don't want you to focus on those groupings. What I want you to focus on is what does he say is theirs in Christ? And I would also say what is ours in Christ? This is what we have in Christ. Go back to verse 12. Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I grew up in a small town where we had a grocery store that kept like accounts, and the way that you could utilize your account is you just had to remember the last four digits of your phone number. So just walk in there, I'd say uh, 5098, and it would get charged to my parents' account, whatever I wanted at the grocery store. That was a dangerous thing, especially when I got into college and my 30s, because they never changed their system. Even to this day, you can walk in there and charge my parents' account. That's not their number, by the way, so you can't do it. <laughs> Your sins have been forgiven. The first beautiful reminder he gives them is that you have complete forgiveness. He says you have free and full fellowship with God. Twice he says in verse 13 and 14, you have come to know the Father. You have come to know the one who is from the beginning. You have rich, full, unhindered relationship with the Father. And he also reminds them, this is what you have in Christ victory over Satan and his weapons of sin and death, as he reminds him, and you have conquered the evil one. He also reminds him of that twice. Notice here, this is really important. Everything that he references there, everything that he says that they have in Christ, did you notice there? Everything he says there is in past tense. You have it, you have it, you have it. My brothers and sisters, let me remind you of this this morning. If you have placed your faith in Christ, if you have built your life on the foundation that is Christ, regardless of how you feel today, this is what you have. You have complete forgiveness. I'm not talking about if you will have it, you have it. You have full and free relationship with God the Father. The architect of the universe is your Father. He has adopted you in fully. I'm not talking about like you will have that. You have that. 
you also have victory over Satan. He is now powerless in your life. I'm not talking about something that you will have. I'm talking about what you have. If you have placed yourself in Christ, these are not things that you earned. You don't deserve these things. I get that. Like, you couldn't do anything to, to, to keep these things, to hold them more securely. All of these things are gifts of grace that by faith have been given to you. And you have them. Forgiveness, fellowship, victory. It's important for us to hold on to that reality. That is who we are. That's what we have in Christ, by faith in Christ. Because of where he's about to take us. Who we are, now why this matters. Here's why this matters. Two things now he says. The first thing we need to know, there's two reasons why this matters. One, the world and everything in it is passing away. This is what he writes in verse 15, 16, and 17. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. One reason why it's important for us to remember who we are is number one, the world and everything in it is passing away. Second reason why we need to know who we are though, is we also need to understand that we are in the last hour and many live as enemies of the cross. He writes this then, continuing on. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, but this is how we know that it is the last hour, that they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be clear that none of them belongs to us. See, we must continue to remind ourselves of who we are because it's easy in this world, when we live in a world that this is all we've ever seen, felt, touched, and known. It's, it's easy for us to get so wrapped up in the things of this world that we begin to forget what is truly beautiful and eternal and what is truly broken and passing. And notice what he says here. If you're used to like, reading your Bible and Bible language, he doesn't say that we're living in the last days. What does he say? What's the phrase he used to refer to the time that we're living in? The last hour. The last hour. Guys, Jesus is coming back. The world as we know it is not gonna continue on and on and on like this forever. And if it was the last hour 2,000 years ago when John was writing this, what do you think we're in now? Like, is this like the last minute of the last hour of like the final seconds of the last hour? Like, I, I don't know, I don't know. But there was an urgency in his mind here to remind them that we're living in this last hour time. And many do live as enemies of the cross. Now, there's some wild stuff in here. You start seeing words like antichrist, and we can start getting all panicky. Uh, I, I wanna just pause for a moment before we dive into the Antichrist and spirit of the Antichrist, all this stuff. And I wanna give you just a couple of anchors real quick. I don't know if you've ever planted a small tree in your yard before or ever helped with that process, but you know when you put like a young tree in the ground, one of the things you do after you put the tree in the ground is you anchor it to the ground. You know the storms of life are going to come. Things are gonna get rough. And so you, you put a couple stakes in the ground and you, you kind of tie it up from multiple sides to make sure that that's, 
a tree remains strong. As we dive into this stuff and walk through life, I just want to give you a couple of anchors, okay? Here's anchor number one. No matter what, know this, our God is always in complete control. Always in complete control. This is Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. That's all day, every day, over every kingdom. Second anchor, our God is unmatched in power. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 says this, and then the lawless one will be revealed and the Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. Guys, I've never killed anything with the breath of my mouth. Actually, I take that back. As the words come out of my mouth now, I think I've killed romance uh, with the breath of my mouth. Outside of that, I don't think I've ever killed anything with the breath of my mouth. But understand this, like Satan would love, he would love to kind of like prop himself up as this great enemy of God, this great opponent. He's gonna try to build this up and build this as the fight of the century between God and Satan. Understand this, God is able to destroy Satan and all of his works, just like my daughter destroys birthday candles. Like, it's that easy for him. The world that we live in with its clenched fists and opposition, Satan, this great enemy that pushes against him, understand this, in all things at all times, God is in complete control. He rules over it all with sovereign power. And he will wipe away his greatest opponent with just the of his mouth. It's good to have these anchors to know what we have in Christ and who is our God. All right, we're getting lots of anchors today to hold us to the ground. Because he writes here in verse 18, right, we need these anchors, these things to hold on to, because you've heard that Antichrist is coming. Right? Antichrist literally means anti the anointed. And so one of the things that God had revealed to Paul and to John and what they taught to the early believers was that at some point during this last hour period, an antichrist figure would come who would oppose Jesus. And you may be asking yourself, so, so who's the antichrist? And like a good millennial that I am, I decided to Google it. I figured, you know, Google has all the answers. So if you Google it, what you'll find out is uh, most people think the antichrist either is uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, Oprah Winfrey is another popular one, um, yeah, the Pope was even mentioned by some people. Uh, others had listed the entire Nebraska football program. Um, you know, you're gonna get some crazy things out there. You, you could ask me like, so who is the Antichrist? I would just tell you right now, I, guys, I have no clue. I don't know. In fact, not much is told to us about this Antichrist figure. There's like two, maybe three passages of scripture that speak to it. Second Thessalonians 2, Revelation 13, and here speak to this Antichrist figure that comes. It's, it's like what God wanted to do was just give us just enough information about this Antichrist figure to let us know that they are real, that they are dangerous, but they also sit under the sovereign power of God. They too were created by God and sit under his sovereign rule. But the Antichrist is, is coming. 
But then he also writes that even now, many antichrists have come. And so even though John's view of the end times seems to, to be to, like pointing toward this singular antichrist figure, he also points out that the spirit, though, of the Antichrist is already at work in the world, actively working to deceive many and working through those who have submitted themselves to rejection of God and walking away from God. The way that this had played out in this church that's around John at this time is many of the believers are looking at their, their family, their, their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're shook up. They had seen many in their own number, had actually those who had walked with them for years in the faith and that now turning from their faith and beginning not only now to just oppose them, but actually to also work to try to pull them to the other side. See, there's one thing for you to just recognize, okay, we need to stand here and recognize there's false teachers out there. Then they started to see those false teachers start to gain converts from among them. And that's the context that John's writing to here. He's writing to a church that's a bit shaken, a bit scared. I give a little bit of that context because sometimes the world that we live in is so wild and crazy. We act like this is the first time the world's ever been wild and crazy before. It's always been like this. Ever since the time that Adam and Eve rejected God and submitted to Satan, the world has been broken and really jacked up and crazy. And there are lots of reasons. If you start thinking about it, to get all worked up and anxious and filled up with worry and fear, which is why what a good shepherd does for his flock is he gives them anchors, things to hold on to. No, no, no. I know all that's happening. Don't forget who you are in Christ and who your God is. And even here, what he says as he gets to the back end of this, after speaking about the Antichrist, Notice, his words to them are very simple as far as his encouragements here. Verse 20, not only have they been forgiven, not only do they have fellowship with God and stand in victory, not only is their God sovereign in power and unmatched in power and all that, but verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. He says this to them, I'm saying this to you guys. Make no mistake about it, we live in a dark world. But let me remind you of this. Church, believer, we're not alone. God has given us the gift of the Spirit so that in all times and in all places, his people would never be alone, but he would be with them. There's two groups of people. There's actually meant to be kind of a play on words here. The antichrist is anti the anointed. And then he talks about here the anointed. There, there are the, the one group, the anti the anointed, and there's the anointed. The anointed have the gift of the promised Holy Spirit that lives in them. And the beauty of this spirit is that this spirit is working constantly to continue to guide us into truth. That's what Jesus promised in John 16. So not only do we have the spirit, the anointing of God, the presence of God in our lives, but we have the truth. Christian, and I'm not just talking about like, like we have like a part of the truth or like one of the many versions of like the many truths. Like we have the truth, the full truth. You don't need anything else. Sometimes it's hard to remember that, right? Like John's not writing to them because they don't know the truth. He's writing to them because they do know the truth and he's just trying to comfort them and assure them, you got it. 
You're not missing anything. Because it's sometimes really hard when you're living in a world where people all around you keep telling you that you don't know the truth. No one knows the truth. Well, that's, that's, like, that's what you think, but there's other people that think different things. It's when you live in a world that is constantly telling you that, it's good every once in a while for somebody to tell you, no, you know the truth. All of it. And it's really not that complicated. If you need a refresher, look at the end of verse 23 as a reminder of what truth is. This is truth, that whoever confesses the Son has the Father as well. In simplest terms, that is the truth that he gives to his flock. If you want relationship with God and you want the hope that God brings, the peace that God brings, the joy that God brings, all the things that God brings, if you want what God has for you, the way you get that, the only bridge to relationship with God is through Jesus. I don't care what you want to call it, what other religion or worldview you've got here, if you don't claim Jesus, you don't have relationship with God. It's that simple. But if you want relationship with God, it is through Jesus Christ and him alone. And so if you confess Christ today, if you say, yes, I've placed my faith in Christ that what he did on the cross, he did for me. The blood shed there was poured out for my sins and for all that I had done wrong. If you've placed your faith in that, if you've confessed Christ as your king and savior, you have the father and all that comes with him. You have it. You have it. Who we are, why that matters, and then what should we do then? How then should we live? This is where I want to spend the rest of our time then. He writes in verse 24 then. So what you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you have received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. There's a key word there. Talk about like action steps, right? Like, so if we know who we are, we know why that matters, now, what should we do? There's a key word in that passage there, a key word that shows up five times in four verses. Anybody catch it? Key word, remain. Can you just take a moment, look back down at your Bible, and can you just circle every time that you see that word appear? Remain. Remains. Remain. Remain remains. Sometimes the greatest news like you and I can ever get is nothing. Like I remember one time we were, we were buying a house and it was a little confusing for us and even our realtor couldn't quite figure it out. But like on one side of the street where we were like this neighborhood we were looking at, like houses were selling for quite a bit more than they were on the other side of the street. 
and like couldn't quite figure out like why that is. And it was kind of like messing with our minds a bit as like, what could be the reasons and like what, what price point then should we offer? And like, are we gonna like, like over like buy or like, like, like pay too much and that whole thing. And we ended up like working out a deal, like moved into that house, whatever. I remember uh, we had a, a, a friend come over and just like do an inspection for us and like kind of check things out. And, and I remember like asking them those questions, like, do you know this neighborhood? Do you know why this is? And he just said to me, he goes, he goes oh yeah, he goes, it's pretty simple actually. If you look at just like the slope grade of your neighborhood, uh, all the houses on that side of the road have had water damage. Like water naturally like runs that direction. And so all of them have had like water damage and some other issues. This side of the street, totally good. And in fact, I noticed that like just out of extra precaution, the previous homeowner put in like tiling throughout your whole yard. You got two sump pumps, man, you are, you're golden. Right, it's like, it's at that moment when somebody looks at you and like the good news you get is like, you're good, you're golden. It's the tumor biopsy that comes back and the doctor says benign. You know, it's, it's, it's when the storm is coming toward you and you're a small child, but your dad, whom you trust with all the trust in the world, takes you to the safest place in the house and just says, stay here, you'll be fine. It's the beauty of nothing. Our call to action today is to remain, to persevere. Remain means to, to, to live, to, to stay in this spot, to, to abide, right? Our job is to plant ourselves in Christ and just let nothing move you. Knowing all that you have, knowing that you have the truth, knowing that God is watching over you to build your life on Christ and let nothing move you. I wanna just give you a few practical things from my own life that have been helpful, I think for me, things that I've even learned from others that have helped, been helpful for me to, like, to plant myself in Christ and to stay in that spot on a day-to-day basis, right? Like, if life is about like standing in Christ and then remaining in Christ and persevering in Christ to the end of my days, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? What are things that, that, that should look like and things I can do? Um, here's, here's something, just a regular rhythm in my own life. Uh, my brothers and sisters, on a daily basis, speak the gospel to yourself. I particularly encourage you, like in the morning, create space before you do anything else to pause and reflect on the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. That you are, yes, a sinner. Own that. Even as good as you were maybe yesterday, like there's, there's aspects, like motives in your heart things you thought about, words that came out of your mouth that weren't particularly like good for building others up, things like that, to confess those things, to cling to the cross as if you've never clung to it before, with that, that first love, affection, and fervor, right? To place your hope in that spot and to pray for them, the spirit to be alive and at work in you today, shaping you and continuing to mold you more and more into Christ's image. But I think one of the key aspects for us to remain is to continue to keep ourselves planted in the gospel. You never outgrow the gospel. That's the first thing you can do practically. The second thing, and I've already mentioned it, but is to pray to the Spirit for the Spirit. 
That might blow your mind a little bit. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever prayed. Like, you know, when you pray, you're like, who am I praying to? Uh, am I praying to, to the Father, to, to God? Do I say, do I pray to Jesus? Do you, and, and then I throw this curveball at you. Like, yeah, and you can pray to the Spirit too. It's like, yeah, I, we're praying to God. And I think we can, we can cry out for, the, for God to work in different ways as we cry out to the different persons of the Trinity. And so I love also being able to cry out specifically for the spirit that God has given to protect me, to strengthen me, to guide me, because I know that my strength and my ability to remain comes from God through his spirit. So I pray for the spirit to continue to work in my life to strengthen, guide, and protect me. And then the third thing, real simply, this shouldn't be a shocker, but when it comes to like remaining and like and continue to be fixated on the truth, do everything you can, believer, to know this book more and more. It should not shock you that if you only spend 15 hours or 15 minutes a week in this book and like six to 20,000 hours a week on TikTok, it's gonna be hard for you to cling to truth. What do you fill your mind with? Fill it with truth. To not only put yourself in a context where you're hearing the word of God taught like this morning, but to be on a just active daily basis reading the Bible yourself, studying it with other people, going deeper and learning more, and yourself like grabbing a study Bible and, and working to understand and, and to really grasp God's word at a deeper level. Also memorizing scripture. So that way, just over the course of the day, whether you got a Bible in hand or not, you're just always just ruminating on the word of God, letting it just roll over more and more in your mind. Those are just some practical things I, I aim to do to help me to continue to remain. But there's one more thing I wanna hit, and I wanna go back to verse 19, because I think we can miss this. I think we can often minimize the importance of us, especially in a day and age where, where like church seems to be kind of labeled as like an optional thing, like kind of a take it or leave it thing. Uh, I'm not sure if I, if I need that or not type of a thing. One of the foundational aspects we see in this passage about persevering and enduring is the importance of us. And I'm not talking about just like passive church participation. I'm talking about deeper involvement where you are inviting others into your life and you are pouring yourself out into their lives, both being vulnerable with one another. He says, they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be clear that none of them belonged to us. We need each other, church. I've said this before, and this would be an, just a last encouragement I give you, but there's not a single person in here that's strong enough that you could walk out these doors and never come back into this place and I think be fine. Given all that God has given you, all that he's given you and the spirit and his grace and goodness to us, we still need each other. My heart is prone to wander. And there's been stretches where I've been away from this place for multiple weeks on end, and I, I hate it. Because every week that I come back into this place, 
Even the times where I just step into your living rooms and sit around your dining tables, or we encourage each other while playing games in the backyard or whatever, those times, it puts wind back into my lungs for Christ. It puts strength back into my bones for Christ. It puts a vibrancy back into my heart for Christ. I need you. And you need me. And we need each other. And so if you wanna know what true faith looks like, saving faith looks like, it's marked by all of these things. And it's in these things. It's as we walk in him through his strength that we're able to live out a faithful life in a passing world. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness today. A reminder of all that we have in you. And even now as we take the Lord's Supper together, we're reminded of the blood that was spilled the body that was broken for you, Jesus, would we place ourselves firmly on you and say, this is where my hope lies. I will never move. And God, would you, through the strength of your spirit, through the encouragement that we get from one another, through the gift of your truth and your word, continue to remain steadfast and strong for your name and for your glory until the end of our days. We love you. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.